Good evening, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Nigel. I'm part of the team here at Woody's. And what we love to do when we gather together is we have an opportunity for someone to talk, to preach from the Bible, and to see how God speaks to us through the Bible. But before I do that, I want to do a couple of shout-outs. It's been a busy week for us at Woodland Church. I want to particularly shout-out any internationals in this evening that have come either brand new or I think give us a little wave you don't have to whoop but just give us a little wave we really welcome you thank you so much let's give them a round of applause thank you so much for being here a long way people have come a long way and they're here at Woody's tonight it's our privilege to have you with us and we really hope you can enjoy not only this evening but getting to know us more so thank you so much for being with us also another shout out I want to shout out Lou Bullock. Lou was singing here. Last night she was partying hard at the Blenheim Community House party. Yes, she was. But then she turned up early in the morning to do sound all morning. And then she's back here this evening doing all the singing. Let's hear it for Lou Bullock. Yes, Lou. One, one of the things you need to know about us as a church is that we're very ordinary. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. We forget things and we get names muddled up and we get all sorts of stuff. We just don't quite do it right. And we are ordinary people trying to do something wonderful for God. And God is extraordinary and does amazing stuff through us in spite of us sometimes. We're not a big celebrity church. None of us are like super duper. All right, we're just normal people, but we love Jesus. And as we love Jesus and we want to kind of give our lives to loving Jesus, actually, God uses that and does amazing things. So tonight, I thought, what would be a great topic to talk on? And when I read the preaching rota, do you know what the subject is tonight? Theology. Yeah, that's, um, that's the ology of Theo. Uh, that is studying God. That's trying to work out what God's all about. That's right. That's what I've got tonight. We are looking at theology. So hold on, everyone, and I appreciate your prayers. So what we're going to do, we've been in a series this month looking at something called both and. Or as someone said, why don't you just call it both? But no, both and. This idea of how as a church community we hold things intention, how we hold things, opposing things, but actually holding them in intention. Let me give you an example. Today, this is our fourth service here in the church. We're a big church. We have lots of people part of the church. We love big church because we can do things that big churches can do. Like we can have exciting worship. We can give away thousands of hot dogs. There's amazing stuff about being a big church. But you know what? We love small church. So all throughout this week, People part of this church community will be meeting all over the city in little homes, house groups, cafes, meeting up, doing small church. And we love small church. We read about that in the Bible as well. And that's the place where there's real connection and relationship and stuff. So are we a big church or a small church? Well, we're both big and small, both and. But here's the thing. Fine, well, you might like big church, they might like small church. But we recognize there's something that doing big church and small church at the same time, there's a tension there. The small church people think, oh, we're just being overlooked and it's all about the stuff. The big church people are like, let's make it bigger and brighter. But what we need is the tension between the two. So I'll give you an example. 
When we can have powerful worship on a Sunday, that fuels us, inspires us. But it feeds into our small church, where we get, want to talk about the message and think, what does that mean in my life? How do I apply it? The small church, the home groups, mean they can get to know each other in a connected way. But they then bring that into the big church thing again, where the connections and depth of relationship and following Jesus is being expressed. It's the tension, it's the movement between the two that keeps both of them healthy. If we were just big church, we'd be good at some things, but terrible at others. If we were both small church, we might be great at some things, we'd miss it. We believe that we should be big and small. And we pursue both of them, and we allow them to speak into one another, and we have to handle it. Anyway, you can catch up on the rest of the Bothan series. It's on our website, where we're unpacking a lot of that stuff. But tonight, I want to ask you this question. How do we understand how God works in the world? That's what we're looking at. How does God work in the world? Now, again, just to be clear, you might be here and you're not a Christian or you're not into the God stuff. In fact, you might not even believe in God. So that's a real easy question to answer. Well, he doesn't or it doesn't because it doesn't exist. That's fine. Or maybe you think, I I believe in God. I believe there's a, a something out there, up there somewhere, being nice. But I don't know if that's got anything to do with me or the world that we see it today. We as Christians here, this is what we believe about God. We believe that God made the world. He was the creator. He created the world. And actually, he sustains it. He, He carries it on through his very act of love and nature. The world is sustained by God. But more than that, um, he loves the world. He has a care for it, a heart towards it. He's not indifferent to the world, but he deeply loves his creation, and that includes you. But all than that, God is dynamically involved. He he's actually gets his fingers in. He's involved in what goes on in the world, and God has a plan for the world. God has a will, we would say, just like you have a will where you choose to do things or not. God has a will. We believe that about God and how he cares for the world. So I'm going to be talking to you, um, we're looking at the both and of the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to explain that to you if that sounds just a bit difficult to get your head around about how God works in the world. But I'm going to tell you a little story. And this is all about the kingdom. Now, uh, the kingdom is a really important phrase we read about in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we read about God's people and they get made into a nation called Israel. And better than that, it was promised that one day they'd have their own place and space. And they called it Israel. And eventually, in this place, they had kings. And they actually had a king. A famous one is King David. But there were lots of other kings. And there was a kingdom of Israel. And the kings ruled in Israel. And the people of Israel loved it because there was a king and there was a kingdom. There was boundaries and barriers. There was people and a king. It was a place. It was a space. It was the kingdom of Israel. But unfortunately, it all goes wrong. And we read about that in the Bible, that the people of God get exiled, taken out of the kingdom of Israel. I'm going to fast forward, and then we meet this amazing person called Jesus. And we read about Jesus in the Bible, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And when Jesus turns up, he says this thing. He has a phrase that describes what he was doing. He says this. He was going around saying, hey, listen up, everyone. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he would say this, he went preaching and teaching the kingdom. And as he was, he would say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe the good news. We read this in Mark and also in other accounts. Right at the beginning, Jesus said the area of Galilee in the north of Israel. The good news of God, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus went round saying that message. There he was talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. What he means by that is the rule and reign of God, God being king. And where Jesus was, Jesus was saying in himself, the kingdom of God is here. And what was he telling his listeners to do? To repent and believe in him. So people got very excited about this, that the kingdom was going to be restored. And this was very exciting for us. There was just one problem, one big problem, the Romans. The Romans were there, and the Romans were a big problem. Now, I was asked this week, how often do I think about the Romans? <laughs> about once a week, to be honest. And now, my boy's just gone to school. He's doing the Romans as well. We're watching Monty Python, what have the Romans ever done for us. They just keep popping up everywhere. They've popped up again. There they are, the Romans. The people of God were being oppressed. And so they thought, well, if the kingdom is going to be restored, we've got to kick the Romans out. We've got to do something about this. And then God can restore the kingdom, just like the good old days. And you see, even his disciples, Jesus' followers, the closest people, asked him, even after his resurrection, Acts 1, they say, Lord, are you going to this time restore the kingdom to us? Or also when Jesus was preaching, people were getting so excited. It said in John 6, Jesus, knowing that the crowd were intending to make him king by force, withdrew and hid from them. So Jesus knew that this kingdom talk was a bit risky. People were very excited and thought that he was leading a rebellion. They even came to arrest him with swords and stuff like, oh, you're this kingdom guy. You're going to kick people out. Jesus was asked, show us a sign then. Tell us. What's this going to look like, this kingdom? And actually, he said, well, to be honest, you're only going to get a sign, but it's the sign of Jonah. It's this sign that something's going to die for three days and then come back to life. This was not what they were expecting. Kingdom people want to see the kingdom restored. So what is the kingdom like? Well, Jesus said lots about the kingdom. He talked about it a lot. In John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight, but they won't. But he describes something about the kingdom of God breaking in now. What I mean is, in the midst, in that real place, the kingdom of God appeared to do with a big finger. He says this, if I drive out demons, that's unclean spirits, by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus not only went around talking about this kingdom of God thing, he demonstrated as well, somehow when Jesus being there, the kingdom of God broke in. The way of God, God's will, the way of God, the kingdom would come. What does this look like? Well, the first one was people repented. And that really simply saying they stop and turn around and they turn to Jesus. We heard that in Shaz's story. On his journey of saying, actually, I turned to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus and Jesus came into my life. I believed in who Jesus was. He wasn't just a good teacher, but he was the son of God. Actually, the kingdom of God looks like the forgiveness of sins, the wrongs and the things that we all do. God never puts barriers in our way to him, but we put barriers in our way to God. There's a big sign that says, connect. That's God's heart. Connect. I'm not putting things in the way, but we cover ourselves with everything. And God is desperate to connect with us. 
we see the kingdom breaking where people are healed from sickness. People are delivered from evil spirits. Relationships are restored with God and others. There's truth instead of lies. The kingdom breaks in and it's tangible. This is all great. Jesus is doing really good. Apart from it, all went wrong. And he ends up being killed by the Romans. Crucified and killed. That's not good news if you're a Messiah. If you're going to bring a kingdom in, that's not how you do it. That's a big fail. Everyone was disappointed. Oh, well, that kingdom thing didn't work. But it doesn't end there. We celebrate the fact that not only Jesus died, but three days later he rose from the dead. God brought him back to life, resurrected him in new life, eternal life, the life of heaven. And so Jesus rose, and in doing so, he poured out his spirit on those who followed him. The church was born. Jesus went to be with the Father. He sits at the right hand, and all power and authority belong to him. It's a funny idea, but this is Jesus when he returns, maybe. Google is not always totally accurate. You see, we're, we're waiting for a time when Jesus will return to earth. We're really fixed in our time as we move along. Every day ticks along. And God has a time as well. In fact, Jesus will call time on time itself. And we will know that because he returns to the world that he loves to put it right. We're a moving forward, future-looking religion. And Jesus is in heaven, but one day he will come. But what was profound about Jesus was that when Jesus was resurrected, something of the future, something of heaven, broke in now into our midst. And so as we talk about Jesus and the kingdom, we welcome the kingdom of heaven here on earth today. So why is this important to us? Why am I getting a bit heavy with theology and Jesus? Well, we are a church community here. The church has existed for 2,000 years. People who are following Jesus, saying, Jesus, you are Lord. We repent, we believe, and we follow you. And in doing so, the church is the vehicle, the way that God wants to speak to the world. And we don't just speak that message of good news, just like Jesus did in the mountains of Galilee, but we demonstrate it as well in the power of the Spirit. And as we do that, we say the kingdom of God in Jesus is coming now. That you today can experience the kingdom of God. That is the good news of who Jesus is and what God has done in and through Jesus. The forgiveness of sins and the breaking in of heaven. You see, some people think being a Christian is that you have to believe the right thing. If I believe that God is Jesus, great. And then when I die, I'll go to heaven and it will be lovely. But that's not what we believe. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says is whilst you believe here, but also to know in your heart, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. But then you can know heaven now today why wait till you die where actually you can live in the reality of heaven today doesn't that sound amazing who doesn't want to live in the reality of heaven and so this has been the mission of church to proclaim the good news of Jesus and demonstrate the good news of Jesus just one slight problem and this time it's not the Romans 
But God's will doesn't get done all the time. The kingdom of God has broken into this world, but not fully. If the kingdom of God was absolutely everywhere, well, that would be heaven. But we're here on earth, and the kingdom of God has broken in, in part, but not completely. This is why things go wrong, and things are still tricky here on earth. God is sovereign over all of history and everything. Some people say, well, God's in control, everything's fine. And I'd say, well, he doesn't seem that in control down here. It doesn't seem that great at the moment. There's not much of heaven that I can see in the world as I read the news. What's going on there? And this is the tension that we live with. The church is a now and not yet community. Where as we worship, as we've been singing those songs, as we call on the name of Jesus, and by his spirit he is here, we can see the kingdom of God, not just here in this building, but break out in and through our lives. But it's opposed. Actually, there's an there's a influence of the world, the enemy, the devil, but also many people who, well, don't follow Jesus. Things are messy down here. Have you noticed that? Things are messy in the world and broken and not right. There's a lot of pain and suffering. So we live out the now and the not yet. I have the privilege of being a father to three boys. And every day they ask me just one simple, important question. Dad, is it screen time? For some reason, little screens, Nintendos, phones, anything that seem to have already rotted the insides of their brains and made them highly addicted to whatever game, monkey egg, three or whatever it is that they're playing. All they want to know about is, yeah, morning, Dad, love you, all the rest of it. Let's cut to the chase. Is it screen time? Now, normally I'd say, yes, yeah, sure, and then suddenly realize what I've done because trying to get them off their screens is no easy task at all and it often goes very bad. So I've learned. Sometimes it is now, and I can say, yeah, it's screen time right now. The joy on their faces is incredible. It's literally, it could be Christmas, it could be anything. It's the best news they've ever heard. Screen time is now. It's amazing. But often I have to say, no, it's, it's not yet. Okay, we've got to do some stuff. You've got to do your homework. Or maybe after you get back from school and everything else, then we'll do screen time. Every day, is it screen time yet? It's the now and the not yet of the Savage family. <laughs> is it now or is it not yet? Now, Jesus taught us how to pray. We actually sung it. We're going to see a slide here. We can read it together. This is called the Lord's Prayer. And he taught his disciples how to pray. And in this idea of the now and the not yet, Jesus, just in this prayer, describes it all. You see, God has a will, and we want God's will to be done. This is why we pray, the kingdom come. But the reason we pray is that God's will isn't done, and God's kingdom isn't here yet, which is why we're invited to pray. So if you can read it, it's a bit of the old English kind of vibe. Let's read it from the top. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Well done, everyone. You read that very nicely. This is the daily prayer, the prayer that Jesus encourages us to pray. 
about seeing the kingdom come and God's will being done. And the first place it starts is with you. How do you see the kingdom of God come and God's will be done? I mean, are you praying this prayer for just some other people or other people that really need it? Are you praying it for you? In the now of the kingdom, we can say, God, may I see your kingdom come today, now. May I see your will be done today in my life. What does that look like? Just like it was for Jesus when he was there to experience the kingdom. Do you know what it looks like? Do you know what you're looking for? What does the kingdom look like in your life? Maybe it's God's presence. Be aware of the presence of God in the midst of your hectic life, a moment where God's kingdom breaks in. Maybe there is healing. Maybe it's a, a word of truth that resonates in your mind that I must hear this from the word. Forgiveness, unity, reconciliation, peace, joy, kindness, love, self-control, patience. Can you perceive it? Do you notice it, the kingdom? Where do you see it? Or do you have your own ideas of what the kingdom looks like? Much like the people around Jesus who had lots of different ideas of what the kingdom was going to be and how it was going to be worked out. Even putting that on Jesus. Let's make him do this. Let's make him king. Do we put our things on Jesus of, yeah, I, I want to see a bit of this stuff happen for my kingdom. What does the kingdom of good God look like in your life? And would you be able to recognize it? Sometimes we pray the really big prayers, the really big stuff, and we're allowed to, we're encouraged to pray to God and ask God for anything and keep on asking. But looking for the big things, do we miss the small things, the signs of the kingdom at work in us and through us? But to be honest, the subject of prayer is difficult. Praying the Lord's Prayer is one thing, but your prayers, the things that you want to see happen, Someone once said it'd be a lot easier with prayer if everything was answered or nothing was answered. But if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll notice that some do, but some don't as well. How do we handle that some prayers get answered and some don't? It's a big topic. And for those following Jesus, it can actually really derail us. It, it can be really difficult for us. Why does God answer my prayers but answer someone else's? Why does God answer a really insignificant prayer, but not the most important one in my life? Part of the idea is this. We have to understand that the kingdom doesn't fully come here on earth. The not yet. So just as we can celebrate when the kingdom breaks in where there is a now, this is where we need to hold intention. There is a place where the kingdom hasn't come. That's why the Lord's Prayer encourages us to pray, to see the kingdom come, because it isn't there yet. Now, this gets tricky. This is painful. And to be honest, I might get a bit teary as I share with you the next kind of bit, because we're going into the pain zone. And some of the stories that I carry are, are not, don't end happily, you know. But for any of us who've been around long enough, you know life goes like that. And as Christians, we're not immune. We don't have this kind of Christian bubble that protects us from everything bad. We walk through life, but with God and with his grace. We're going to read a really powerful bit of scripture in Romans 8. This is a letter to a church. And this chapter is encouraging um, the people who are reading it to 
to kind of see beyond their circumstances, recognizing that we all suffer, but actually that we can call out to God. So we're going to read this little passage from Romans 8, and it says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. But not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. But in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The reality is we don't see all our prayers answered. The reality is we don't always see the kingdom come and break in, even though we're desperate for it and we don't understand why God wouldn't answer that prayer. We recognize God's will isn't done for lots of reasons. It starts with us, the stuff in us that can make us stubborn and sinful and not wanting to do what God asks for us. Jesus isn't Lord of every person in this world. There is a kingdom of darkness, something that opposes the kingdom of God. Also, there's God's timing. When I say to my boys, not yet, it's not that I'm being mean. It's just I know what other things need to happen first. Sometimes God is saying, and not yet, not because he's being mean, but actually he's patient and long-suffering. Actually, he wants to gather as many people into his kingdom as possible. He's not on our time scale. He's working on his. But to be honest, I don't understand. But I'm comforted that the Bible has many passages where prayers aren't answered. Jesus' prayer in the garden before he went to the cross wasn't answered. Jesus' prayer in John for unity in the church has not been answered. In Hebrews 11, there's a whole chapter of the greatest people of faith in the Bible who never managed to see what they'd been promised. They didn't get what they were promised. We read in Acts, a book about the early church, in chapter 12, it starts with one of the closest followers, James, being killed, and yet another one, Peter, being miraculously set free from prison. Why was one killed and one set free? I don't know. It happened. If we can't live with this tension, then our faith is going to be, well, wobbly and shaken. This summer, I went to a big Christian festival. It was amazing. There's like 5,000 people in this big top, and the worship, incredible worship band, crazy lights, Everyone had their hands in the air like they just didn't care. And they were worshipping away. It was amazing. And then, maybe I've forgotten to do this, but my phone went off and I had a little message. And a message from a friend of mine who was just giving me an update around a situation, around someone who was really poorly and really ill. I've been praying for them lots, saying actually it's getting worse and it's not looking good. And in the midst of this amazing worshipy atmosphere, of these Christians just happier than ever, I was just really broken on how little faith I had and how my prayers don't seem to be answered and how people I love who are really sick and in far more pain than me 
are suffering and facing death. And I'm there just weeping over this picture that I've been sent of someone who's ill, groaning. The Spirit, God, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I'm broken because these are people I love and we need to see your kingdom and I don't know how this is going to work. It was uncomfortable for me. All these Christians worshipping, having a great time that Jesus is the best and I'm just feeling like, ah, you know, have you ever got to that point? You've got to that place as a Christian where it's like, I can't, I can't even get the words out anymore. I'm just, ugh. It's a groan of the spirit. That's the place of saying, God, we need your kingdom. And I'll be honest, some of those people haven't made it, you know, and those situations haven't all turned up for good. But it doesn't undo me. I get it. I hold the now and the not yet. I don't know why some things happen and some don't. But we need to be okay with that. And again, this is what we're being called into. How do we hold this tension of some things God appearing and and at times not? And we're allowed to talk to God about it and for it to work on us. So what does this mean for us? I I wanna say this. We need to celebrate the now. You can't help but read about Jesus and he was partying. Just like Lou Bullock, partying away because the kingdom is coming. Good things are happening and it'd be wrong not to party. The church needs to party more. The sound of the church should be celebration and praise. And we should go for it. Why? Because if the king is here, if Jesus is here, anything can happen and the kingdom breaks in. We rejoice over people who repent and are saved. We rejoice when people are healed. We rejoice when people find breakthrough in their lives. We rejoice when we see the kingdom of earth come here on earth. The kingdom of heaven breaking out. We rejoice in it. Our problem is we don't rejoice enough. Why? Because sometimes we don't see it. And at other times, we don't let it feed us. We're like, oh, it didn't happen for me. No, you celebrate when you see the kingdom. If you're a kingdom person, that is what you do. We need to celebrate more, not less as a church. And that is the sound on the church, to be a celebrating church. But what we do with the the not yet, we groan and we weep. We cry. So many people are awkward crying in church. It's the best place to cry. Because God knows what those tears mean. I don't. But he does. We groan. And we bring the hurts of this world, our own pain, the things where we long to see the kingdom come. There should be a sound of groaning on the church, of the spirit. Broken over the things that are not right in our world. Broken over the injustices that we see, but we so easily make ourselves immune for. You know, we we need to be broken again and again on the things that break God's heart. And it's painful and it hurts. There'll be tears and groaning and you won't be the same. And that is, a now, that is a not yet of the kingdom that we long for. And we need to let the Spirit work on us. But the thing is, we do it at the same time. Like me in this big festival with amazing worship going on, but crying my eyes out. <laughs> you don't do one or the other. They both happen all the time. Maybe today you're celebrating and you want to go for it. Maybe today you're in pain and crying out to God. And maybe you're both. But what we mustn't do is let it cancel it out and do neither. The worst is that we don't do any. We're not even now or not yeti. 
we're not expecting anything to happen, we'll just be bored. Or if we're not even bothered about the not yet, we're like, oh, just, just let it happen later. We will become a passive and weak and lifeless church. And so we want to be passionate people pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus and giving our lives to Jesus. We want to celebrate over the kingdom coming in and we want to see more of it than we have because we love it when we see God's kingdom at work. But also we want to stand with those and we want to weep and groan and allow the spirit in prayer to move us to see breakthrough and the kingdom come. And we need to hold both. It's not easy and that's why we need each other and we need to be encouraged and supported. But that's what we need to grow into. That's what we need to mature into. And that's why we're sharing with that as a church today, is that we believe in both. But right now, the rest of my life, I want to see as much kingdom of God here on earth as I can before I'm done. I don't know when that will be, but that's my heart. God, may there be a bit more of the kingdom here on this earth because of me. And by the time from when I started to when I'm done, Lord, let your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.